The Lord sees, the world sees and soon forgets, but we will not forget. Every time I say that, I start crying. <laughs> it's like every time now, it's just a ritual. But how can we? How can we forget what he's done for us? Yesterday was 20 years when we celebrated we will not forget. And we will not forget. But we also, in our lifetime, will never forget, each one of us in this house, what the Lord has done for us. He's done mighty, mighty things, greater than we'll ever know. We don't even understand the fullness of his, his redemption for us. You know, today I really felt like the Lord just wanted me to encourage us that he is a good God. He's an absolutely good God. He's always for us, and he always wants to find us in hope. But we live in a world that sometimes our hope could, could uh, wane away when we look at the things that are happening in the lives of others and our nation. But we have a God of hope, and he wants our eyes lifted. He wants to lift our heads today. So it's not going to be a long sermon. I know I say that every time, TJ. <laughs> I always want him to come back and sing a song, and I've taken his spot. But the truth is, he just wants to shout it. He wants me to speak it. He just wants me to say that he wants us to be people of hope and to know that he's the lifter of our head. He's our glory and the lifter of our head. And so we're going to go over a couple scriptures but first, I want to pray, and I also want to pray within our praying for Charlotte, uh, a young girl who's got a really high fever, and she's sick right now, right? Uh, if we don't pray right away, sometimes we forget. But Father, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you, Lord God, that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you, Lord God, that you reign above it all. You are the King of kings, and you are the Lord of lords. No one, O oh God, is above you. Sickness is not above you. Depression is not above you, Lord God. National turmoil is not above you. You are above it all. And we proclaim that. We declare it this day, Lord, that you are the lifter of our heads. And we lift Charlotte to you, Lord. We speak healing. We thank you, Lord, that there's no distance in prayer. You sent your word and you heal. And we ask right now where she is, Lord God, that you'd send the powerful word. You'd send your hand. You would speak to her. You'd breathe upon her. And that fever would desist. Thank you, Lord God, that you are the God. You are the God of all hope. You are the God of all grace. You are the God of all power. You are the God of all mercy. You are the God of your children. We thank you that we have such a savior. We thank you that we have such a king. We thank you, Father, that we have such a great father who's always looking at the depths of our heart, looking for what he can do within us and for us and through us. We thank you, Lord, you never stop, and we declare this day that we'll not stop. We'll not stop declaring your goodness. We'll not stop declaring your power. We'll not stop declaring hope, Father God, to the hopeless. And we give you this morning, this, this evening, Father, sorry, this morning, and throughout the evening, Lord God, our words of praise, and we pray, Father God, that your spirit would open our hearts and open our minds, and we would not leave here the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, and David says in, in the book of Psalms, he says, many are those who say there is no hope for you in God. Many are those who say to you there is no hope in God. And many times that is the situation in our life. There's people around us who are really saying there's no hope for you in God. You'll always be sick. You'll always be depressed. You'll always be downcast. You'll always be the, the underdog. You'll always be at this job that you don't like. Whatever it is, there is no hope for you in God. And if the enemy isn't saying it to us, sometimes our friends are saying it to us. And if our friends aren't saying it to us, unfortunately, our own mind is saying it to us. And the Lord came, though, to set the captives free. Not just to, when he said he was going to preach the gospel to the poor in spirit, he just didn't mean financially poor. He meant in every aspect of your life that he was going to set you free. He's a good God, and that was his mission. So as we look today, we're going to see what a mighty God he is. And again, I say this all the time. I'm not saying anything that nobody doesn't know. I'm just stirring our hearts and stirring my own heart. It's a two-edged sword. 
to remind us what the word already says. So this morning we're going to talk about the lifter of our head, the one who protects us and draws near to us so that in the turbulent times that we do find ourselves in, when the enemy thinks he can come and finish us off, even as a nation or an individual, we need to understand that God is our glory. His glory and his presence is near and he is always with us. All the enemy can do is speak lies, but God is a protective shield. He's the glory, the lifter of our heads. He kneels down and he touches our face and lifts it to himself. I say this probably every other time in, in Bible study on Tuesday night, but when we, when we talked about the prayer, the, the prayer that Moses told Aaron to speak over the people, you know, the Spock, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, right? When it says the Lord bless you, the actual, the meaning of that Hebrew word, not that I know Hebrew, I looked it up and listened to people who did, it literally means that he comes and kneels right next to you and blesses you. He's not doing it from afar. I hate that song. He sees us from a distance. You know, when it comes on the, when it comes on in the store, I tell everybody, don't listen to it. He doesn't see you from a distance. He's up close and personal. So when it says the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, let his face shine upon you, his glory, he's right next to you and he's touching you and he's actually lifting your head. That's a really good picture to have because we need to know that when we are downcast or whatever's going on, he is right next to you, even though you don't feel him, even though you do not see him. He wants to impart freedom to us, and he wants to impart peace. He wants to have us walk in hope. Our God is full of power and compassion. He draws close to us, and he will continue to. David said, I am not afraid of 10,000 of people who set themselves against me round about in Psalm 3. For you are my glory, you are the Lord, you are my shield, and you will lift my head. In great conflict, we, have, we can have great peace. In turmoil, we can still hear his voice. He wants us in his rest and knowledge of his grace, power, and might. He wants us to know, capital K-N-O-W, all capitals. He wants us to know that he is here, and he is right there in the storm. He's right there in your discouragement, in your sickness, in your questioning, in your fears. He is our hope. He wants us to know that he's bringing restoration and deliverance is coming. You know, there comes a day that restoration and deliverance comes. Suddenly, Jesus walks on the scene, and basically that's what I want to talk about today. Jesus is going to step on the scene, and I'm not saying that as an emotional statement. I really believe Jesus is about to step on to the scene in a greater way. Our God is a covenant-keeping God who always, throughout the ages, proves himself faithful through every storm, every impossibility. He is our God, our glory, the lifter of our head. Today, we're gathering around the God of hope, stirring our faith in him and praising him for his great faithfulness. He is a God of hope. Jesus' ministry began with hope. After he was in the wilderness for 40 days, he comes into Nazareth, as it says in those scriptures, and he enters the synagogue, which was his custom at the time. He was attending a service, but now he was going to be the service after these 40 days. He stood up and they handed him the scroll. They handed him the word, and the living word Jesus Christ read what he had spoken hundreds of years before through the prophet Isaiah. Think about that. He spoke through the prophet Isaiah 700 years prior, and now he is physically on the earth in the temple speaking the word, and he was the word. That is so powerful to me. So he opens up the book. And that this day was different because he declared it with his own voice, the word reading the word. And in these scriptures, we, we understand his love for the lost and his heart for restoration. He declares why he came. He declares his mission. And he speaks with authority. 
He didn't waver. He just declares, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and it is still being fulfilled today by his spirit through his church. The accountant Luke says it like this. He came to Nazareth, 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 where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. They handed him the scroll, and he opened up and found the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor, not just financially poor, not just a lack in that way, but spiritually poor, the destitute, those lacking joy, those lacking peace, or the assurance of salvation. He came for all those things. And then he continues, he has sent me to proclaim release to captives for deliverance, recovery of sight to the blind. And the blind there is not just physically blind, it's mentally blind. That's what happens when we're hopeless. We can be mentally blind. We don't understand, we can't see him, right? We don't understand where is he in this trial? How long is it gonna go on? How long will it continue? Well, Jesus came to set us free of those blinders. We don't know how to do it. We can't work hard enough, we can't pray hard enough, we can't fast enough. We need just to cry out with our voice like David did and ask him to rescue us. And this is Jesus' mission. He came to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, he said. This was his message. This is why the Father sent him, and this is still his mission. The mission hasn't changed. The message has not changed. It's still the same. The Spirit of God is upon us in trial, tribulation, darkness, lack, turmoil, and every storm of life. Let him penetrate our hearts with his word today, understanding that he is our light in the darkness and our answer. He's our hope in every situation we might find ourselves in today or tomorrow. He came with a purpose, and the purpose has not changed. He came to help us, and he will help us today. He came to deliver us, to enlighten our eyes and our mind, to free us and to stay free. He wants us to stay free because we are his chosen vessel to work through. He does not change. He wraps himself with zeal. I love how that says that in the scripture. He actually wrapped himself with zeal. He clothed himself with righteousness, wrapped himself in zeal for what? For us to deliver us, to rescue us, to be upon this mission, and to prepare us and then bring us home again. He wraps himself in zeal for his children, and he sets all things in order. Psalm 3 says, or I'm not going to read it yet, but Psalm 3 is a psalm for the last days, a psalm that shows the battle but declares the victory. There's always going to be a battle, but you know there's always going to be a victory always going to be a victory. He reveals his desire to answer and our need to proclaim who he is. We need to proclaim who he is. When we're hopeless, I don't know about you, but it helps if I proclaim who he is. If I'm having a bad day or even at work, if I start whining about it and talking about it, I become those words. But when I say even to somebody else, even if I don't believe it when I'm speaking to them, God will help you. It seems hopeless, but you're still saying it. God's going to help you. I know he's going to help you. And you walk away and you go, oh, God, please help them, right? But when I say it, then it stirs my own heart. My own faith is restored, and I know that it's true. We have to open our mouth and speak those things. So in this psalm, David's facing betrayal to the point of losing his life. Betrayal not known by the previous enemies, like the Philistines from the past, but from his own household, his son rebelling and rising for the crown that doesn't belong to him, rallying others to betray, faithful friends, commanders of armies, servants, and the hearts of the people were pulled from David. When we read the book, we just see that people love David, 
right? They cried out, Saul killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. They praised him, they loved him. He was a great king, a mighty warrior. But now he's in a time of his life that everybody's turning from him. But his own family, imagine that. It's one thing to have an enemy outside your camp, but to have an enemy within your camp, not only are you being attacked, but now you're broken. You're heartbroken. And he doesn't want to fight Absalom like he would a Philistine. It's his son. He's got an emotional uh, connection there. So David was having a bad time. So the talk of the people spread like fire, and the words of praise to their king became words of defeat. And they started to say, there's no hope for you, David. It's over. You're forsaken by man. Because by this time, he was chased out of, of, uh, um, of his home. He was chased away from his throne. And he was in the wilderness again, running for his life like he did in the days of Saul. And they're like, it's over for you. It's over. We've, we're choosing Absalom. And it wasn't, it isn't this what the, en- this is what the enemy tries to let us hear in every single battle. It's over. Even when you get down to the place, it's over. You got stage four cancer, it's over. You're divorced, it's over. Your child is sick, it's over. You went bankrupt, it's over. None of that is true. When the, when the towers fell, how many nations said for America, it's over? It's not over. I heard a man during, uh, we went to the park last night for, a, uh, for one of the services, and the last preacher who got up said, we're still here. We're still here. We're thanking God that we're still here as a nation. It just touched my heart, because it's true. And it was a hard time, and it's still a hard time in our nation. But guess what? God is still with us. God is still with us. He's still with us today. So all those things that were being said to David were crushing him. It wasn't a small trial. But David knew his God, and his head did not stay down for long. Our heads will not stay down for long. And this psalm is what comes out of that trial, which makes it more powerful. He says, Lord, how my enemies have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But Lord, you are a shield to me. You are my glory. You are the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of 10,000 of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, Lord, and save me, my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheek. I like this line. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. That's what God does to the enemy. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then he says, may your blessing be upon your people. He's still praying for the people. He's still crying out as a king for the people. And God is blessing. God is blessing, and certainly his blessings are on his people, his chosen ones. Oh, Thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, the glory and the lifter of my head. It's a psalm to take us through the hardest times. When you're between a rock and a hard place, when all seems lost, divided, chaotic, whatever the storm, he's going to lift your head. We need to look for it, depend on it, and rely on him. Lord, how my enemies have increased. Many are saying there's no hope. Many are saying to my soul, forget it, it's over. The better translation, though, is deliverance or help. Many are saying there's no help for you in God. He's not going to help you. Imagine feeling like that, the despair to think that God's not going to help you. The enemy comes and says it's over. You're too sinful. You haven't repented. Your life isn't all that great. You're not seeking me in the morning. You're not seeking me at night. You're not fasting two days a week, right? And he says, I can't help you because you didn't do all those things. But God is such a merciful God. Does he want us to pray more? Yes. Does he want us to seek him more? Yes. But is he going to deny his children when they're at their weakest? Never. Never, never, never. He is going to arise and he's going to take care of us. Never, ever believe the enemy's lies that there's no hope for you. That's where he get us, gets us in despair. He always tries to get us in despair. Many are rising up against me. Um, 
They're taking a stand, a decision. They decided to destroy me, and they're saying there's no help for me now in you. Many people, demonic voices, and sadly our own voice sometimes will tell us this, that there's no help. There's nothing's going to turn around, and nothing will ever change. It is what it is. No hope for your marriage, no hope for your children, the nation, no hope for your health, no hope for your own soul. It's not true. When you start hearing that, you should actually just rejoice because the devil is talking because he knows something's about to happen, that the Lord is about to step in. David was anointed king of Israel, and now he's running for his life. But the Lord knows. The Lord, he knows the Lord. So he concludes, you are my shield. You are my glory. You're the one that's helped me before, and you're the one who's going to help me again. You've always delivered me, and you've always protected me. So why should you stop now? You won't stop because you're faithful. If I'm faithless, he's faithful. I love that scripture because we're all faithless, but he's always faithful. He's always with us. As is true for us, he's our glory. He's the lifter of our heads. Sometimes we face some very demonic battles, battles in our minds and circumstances, and it causes us to grow a little weary, a little fearful, timid in the kingdom. But we have to know today that Jesus Christ is our glory. He's the one who always lifts our head. As he read from the scroll of Isaiah, it was his message then, and it's, it's his message now. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to, re, to bring recovery of sight to the blind. You're just being mentally blind right now, he says to his children. I am with you. Don't despair. I'm about to open your eyes. He never leaves us downcast. He will always run to rescue and lift our heads. He's zealous to run and rescue us. He is always looking who he can deliver, who he can save. That's who he is. He's not just sitting up there building houses for us you know, that we can all inhabit when we get there. He's actively involved in our, in, our, in our lives now. He never leaves us downcast. He'll always run to rescue and lift our heads. He says, look to me and look at me. I'll not only lift your head for you to see me, but I will remove the lies and the torments of your mind. I'll even remove the scars from the battle. I'm for you. I will help you. I will glorify, and I will be glorified for it in your lives. Our lives are glorifying the Lord when we've come out of a hard time and we say, but God, is God. My God reigns. There's nothing like somebody coming out of a trial and then saying to somebody else what we are called to do. Actually, the Bible says, blessed are the feet of those who proclaim good news, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That's what we're called to do. We don't have to be a big preacher and big uh, theologian. We don't have to do any of those things. We just have to tell the downcast, listen, God reigns. I don't know how, but he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna turn this away. He's going to turn it around. So when the devil tells you that there's no hope for you in God, do what David did. And what did he do? He cried to the Lord. He just didn't leave it there. He didn't give up. He cried to the Lord with his voice. And then it says this, he heard me. We have to know that God hears us when we cry out. He is hearing us. He is hearing you. He hears you. He sees you. And out of that cry and out of that prayer, which does not have to be a long prayer, it can really just be help right? I remember once praying a really, a really, uh, a week, the weakest prayer I think I ever prayed. I just said, Lord, I'm between a rock and a hard place. If you don't help me, I don't know what I'm going to do. The next day, the next day, he is so unbelievable. So what happens when we cry to the Lord? It doesn't have to be a long prayer. Just cry to him because he wants to rescue his children. And he answered me, he says, he answered me from his holy mountain. And that's why I could lay down and sleep. They're out to kill him. They're out to assassinate him. I don't know, but if I was like part of the mob and I left and I knew that there was a, um, what's it called when they put a, something on your head, they're going to kill you? What's it called? <laughs> yes, they put that, when they do that, I don't know if I could sleep all that well. 
I'd be looking out the windows. I do that now sometimes. I'd be locking, you know, locking them up and closing the curtains and looking behind me in the streets. But, you know, David had such confidence. How did he have such confidence? It wasn't arrogance. He was confident in what God had done before. And the Lord wants us to know what he's done for you before he's going to continue to do. So lay down and sleep. If you have trouble sleeping at night because your mind is rolling, you need to know. You call out to the Lord and you are going to be able to lay down and sleep. And guess what? You're going to be able to wake up up. You're going to wake up in the morning, and he is our confidence. His life was targeted, and yet he slept and was protected through the night. We too are protected through the night. Nights of fear and worry, he removes it. Long nights of sickness, any kind of distress, just call upon the Lord, and he will sustain us through it all by his glorious Holy Spirit. He cried out, and peace came to him. And that's why he could say, I'll not be afraid of 10,000 of people who have set themselves round about. Psalm 18 says, for you, Lord, you are my light. You, you light my lamp. The Lord my God illuminates my darkness. For by you I can run upon a troop of warriors, and by my God I can leap over a wall. You can do that, not because you're so strong or athletic, but because Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the Redeemer, lives inside of you. We won't be afraid of 10,000 of demons, every evil spirit from hell. They rise up against us. I will not be afraid of multitudes of demons that encamp themselves around me. Why? Because I cried out to the Lord, and he's always been my shield. He's always been my glory. He's always been the lifter of my head. This truth will take us through the hardest times, times of impossibilities. This declaration will turn sorrow into rejoicing and failure into success. Unanswered prayers become reality. Don't settle because your prayers haven't been answered. Don't give up because the Lord is on his way. He's on his way. He's always on his way. He's just working things out. He's not going to bring a premature birth. He's going to bring it to fruition. There's got to be the fullness of time. And then God says, now I'm going to rescue. Now I'm going to answer that prayer. Jesus is going to be our glory, the weight of his presence upon us the nearness of his presence, causing all our enemies to flee, confidence restored. Nothing will stop our prayers from being answered. He's coming in glory and power. Just cry out to him and he will answer. It sometimes takes a little while. We know that, right? Sometimes it's very quick. Sometimes we pray for others and it's overnight and you think, Lord, I've been praying that for a long time. And this person is delivered like that. And then I feel like he, I should be like, well, you should rejoice that I've given you the, uh, the authority to pray with somebody and see them freed so quickly. So sometimes it takes a little time, but we know that he's our shield and he's going to come through for us. And through the night season, we can conclude because of his glory, I won't be afraid of 10,000 people. Troops of demons and every evil spirit from hell that might rise against us, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to hold on to you. Sometimes we pray and pray and see nothing. We hear of disaster after disaster, foundations in our homes and other nations breaking apart. The voice of the enemy grows louder and louder, and the voice of the people, the multitudes, are filled with negativity. That's what was happening in David's life. Removed from the throne, and the voices were against him. He was targeted for assassination, and the enemy brings the discouragement to stop him. And like David, we declare, you're the glory and the lifter of our heads. You haven't left us. You haven't forsaken us. He's with us, and he wants to deliver us so that we can bring deliverance. The enemy tried to stop Jesus. I love this, this scripture. It's a very quick scripture. He tries to, to stop Jesus. The Pharisees tried to shut him up, and Herod tried to kill him. But the Lord would not bow to the opposition. He only did what the Father told him to do, just like that song we sang. I love that song. 
so happy TJ played that song. I was going to ask him to, actually. Because where he goes, he only did what he saw the father do. He was about the father's business. Nothing else mattered to him. He knew there was opposition. He knew the enemy was there. He knew him from the beginning of time. But he knew, and he stood his ground, and they were trying to stop him. He wasn't tossed back and forth. He understood who he was. He had the authority and the power, and their threats and actions were nothing to him. In Luke 13, it says this. It says that Jesus was healing the sick, working miracles in verse 31. And then we see all of a sudden the religious leaders and the, pol the political leaders, they try to stop him. Right in the midst of when you're pressing into God and you're, you're praying for people and they're being delivered, the enemy is always going to come. And in, ver uh, verse, uh, in Luke 13, 31, it says, At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. So they tried to put the fear upon him, like they did David. David ran from, from the kingship, but Jesus Christ wasn't going to run. He said, no, I'm not doing anything. He says, that's fine, that, that Herod wants to kill me, and I believe you're trying to set me up too. But he goes, you go, he said to him, you go and tell that fox. Isn't that exciting? You go and tell that fox. He says, I'm the life source, I'm the creator, and I'm taking my stand. So you go and tell him and give him this message. Behold, I cast out demons, and I perform cures today, and I'm gonna, I am going to perform the same miracles tomorrow. And on the third day, I will finish my course, meaning greater victory than this is coming. So you just go tell that fox. I'm not afraid of him. Tell him to take a good long look at me, because what I'm doing, I am the king of kings and lord of lords. I am the redeemer, and I've come into this world to save my people. So just go tell him, no, I'm not coming. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And a lot of times, that's what we need to say to the enemy. I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. Even though you're coming at me with these threats, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, because Christ, the creator of all creation, is with me. He was saying, I'm not going anywhere. The enemy will always try and stop the miracles, the prayers, the deliverances, the healings that the Lord is working through us. He tries to get us to stop sharing Jesus, to stop sharing our testimonies. He tries to get us offended. He tries to get us to quit. Stop sharing his word that cuts through the kingdom of darkness. But Jesus said, you go and tell that fox. Go tell that fox, Satan, that old dragon, that liar, that serpent, all the voices from the power of darkness that we will continue. Jesus was saying, there's a mission for me, and I will accomplish it to its fullness. In spite of what you Pharisees, in spite of Herod, what you say or do, all that you see, I will continue to do. Go and tell that fox, I cast out devils, I heal the sick, tell him that this is why I came, and I will continue until I return to the Father. And even then, I will continue by my spirit through my treasured ones, right? Go and tell that fox. He is our glory. He is our shield. He's the lifter of our head. We continue to say, Father, you are my glory and the lifter of my head, and you will deliver me, and the enemy will be defeated. In Luke chapter 24, it says um, there is another situation where the Lord showed up and turned it all around. Hopelessness came upon the disciples in the time of Jerusalem when Jesus Christ was crucified. Imagine the heaviness and the weight of the pressure that day. They were with the King of Kings. They were with, they were with Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Miracles were happening, right? There was great revivals. People were getting saved. People were getting healed and delivered, and now he's dead. Imagine if we lived then. We wouldn't have fully understood. We would have been just as hopeless as these two that we're going to read quickly about. So two disciples of Jesus Christ were in Jerusalem, and they witnessed the death of their Savior. The city was filled with despair and hopelessness, so they decided to move on. Leaving Jerusalem, they spoke one to another about the events, about the events that they had witnessed when Jesus approached. All of a sudden, Jesus approaches in their despair. 
They're walking along the road to Emmaus, and Jesus approaches them, and he begins traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from seeing him. Their hope was taken. The death of their Savior crushed their dreams, and hopelessness filled their hearts and prevented them from recognizing the Lord. Hopelessness keeps us looking at the immediate, at the situation. We look with eyes of defeat, and we become downcast and quit, and it keeps us from recognizing what the Lord is doing. We can't see him anymore. So we shouldn't be hard on these guys. They went, they went through a, a horrific situation. All hope was lost. And so in verse 17, it says, I love how the Lord is. He says to them, now they don't recognize him, and he says, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you, walk, as you are walking? And they stood there looking sad. The Lord is going to come to us even when we're looking sad. They were hopeless, and the Lord just came. They didn't cry loud with their voice. They walked with hopelessness. And one of them was totally shocked. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem, and you're unaware of the things which have taken place in these days? And he says to them, what things? (laughs) He's so awesome, isn't he? He goes, what things have happened? And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and all the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. They thought it was over. They thought it was finished. They thought that it was, they thought that there was no help for them in God. But we're hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, on the third day, some some, something really strange happened, and they go on to say how some of the women saw him, and on and on, not to read the whole scripture, but the point is they were headed the other way. They left Jerusalem. And then in verse 28, it says, they approached the village now with him, and they were going, and he acted as though he was going to go farther. He was going to walk away from them. Verse 29, but they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving thanks. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, I love this line, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they, at that moment, that very hour, they turned around and went back to Jerusalem. Isn't that powerful? They were walking away in total despair, but Jesus Christ himself comes and he he expounds to them. He tells them, it's that scripture in Isaiah, I came to remove the blindness. He lifted their heads that day. He did what he said he would do. He sent, Jesus says in that scripture, he sent me to proclaim release to the captives, deliverance. He wasn't angry with them. He wasn't like, listen, you're my, you know, you've been with me. I'm really upset that you don't have enough faith. You know the faith preachers? We should have faith. But they didn't say, listen, if you had faith in faith, if you had faith, you wouldn't be downcast. What are you doing? Rejoice. Who's going to rejoice when when everything is lost? We have to be real. Everything was lost. So he says, I'm coming to release you. I'm coming to free you because I love you. And recovery of sight to the blind. Again, they were mentally blind. They didn't understand the scriptures. But Jesus expounded it to them. He explained it to them. And they had that understanding that it all had to be as it was. The battle had to happen so the victory could be won. There had to be death so we would have life. And it all comes back to them. 
And so they are recovered. They were captives to hopelessness. They were blinded in their minds to the ways of redemption. They didn't understand the process. Many times we don't understand the process and we become hopeless. Don't try to understand the process. Just put your hope in the one who does. They didn't understand it. They didn't know that death couldn't hold them. They didn't know the Holy Spirit would empower them. They didn't know that he would step into their path and remove the mental blindness. They were totally unaware as he read the scriptures and broke bread with him that on that day it would all turn around. There is a day that it all turns around. There's a day that the Lord steps into our path and accomplishes what he promised to do. And that's not hyper faith. There is that day that he does come many days in our lives as a, as a believer. And like David, they could say that they cried to the Lord and he answered. But I use this, this uh, piece of uh, scripture because they didn't cry with a loud voice. The father actually heard the cry of their heart. It doesn't say that they cried to the Lord with their voice, but the Lord heard the cry of their heart. Nobody can hear that sound but our father, who is intimate with the upright. He responds so quickly to the faintest cry. Never forget his love. Never forget his ability to rescue you and to save you. We need to tell everybody about this great Savior that we have. Then they turned back like they did, back to Jerusalem to continue in the gospel of the good news to the broken, to the afflicted, to the downcast. He is with us and he lifts our eyes to himself so that we can clearly see who he is. And the last example I want to use, which it's in the book of Ruth, where Ruth says, where you go, I'll go. He, she says, I'm going to go where you go. We know the story, so I'm just going to uh, say it quickly for anyone who doesn't, but I don't think anybody here does not know the story of Ruth. But in that story, we know that Ruth and her sons and her husband, they go to Moab because there was a famine in Judah. So they leave, and they're there for 10 years. And in that 10-year process, she loses her husband. She loses both of her sons, right? She lost everything. So she comes back, but Ruth wouldn't leave her. Ruth said, no, I'm not leaving. I'm going to come with you. So in that, in that season, in that time when she lost all those things, she still had her daughter-in-law. Naomi hears that the Lord had blessed Judah with food, so she's heading back now, and Ruth refuses to leave her. She says to Naomi, where you go, I'm going to go. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. That is a very strong statement, and I believe, you know, we did, a, we did the names of God a couple of years ago. We taught on the names of God, and El Roi, or El, however you say it, R-O-I, it means that he's the God who sees, and he's the God who hears. He hears everything. He sees everything. Don't ever think that he doesn't see you. So she goes, I'm, your people are going to be my people. Ruth says these words out of her mouth, and El Rohi himself heard her. And he begins to answer, and she doesn't know at that moment as they're heading back. Naomi doesn't know at that moment as, as they're heading back. They have to take the journey from Moab back to Bethlehem, back to her hometown. They don't know in that journey of despair and brokenness. I can't imagine what it's like to lose a husband and all your children. And I don't think anybody here can. But it has to be devastating. And to just to come out of a famine, it has to be hard. That's a hard trial. And God saw the need, and he was going to redeem them. And, and Naomi didn't even realize. She didn't normally, when we look at Ruth, we look at Ruth, and, and we need to look at Naomi because she went through hell. She lost it all. So they both went on until the, they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? 
words spoken from a dev- devastating circumstances, but God's compassion was about to restore her to her rightful countenance. She did not believe there was help for her anymore in God. Her own words declared it. She even changed her name. But the Lord is her glory, and he's the lifter of her, of her head. What he named her is going to stay. Not what she calls herself, but what he professes her to be. Naomi, in all her emptiness and her mental blindness to the glory of God, was about to have a turnaround. She didn't know the king was coming to the field. Boaz was the king. And we know that Boaz is a picture of our Redeemer King, Christ Jesus, right? And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Ruth goes into the field of her kinsman redeemer, and she picks up the scraps and the drops from the reapers because they weren't even financially, they had nothing. And the king steps in the field. Boaz steps into the field, and it says that his eyes fell on Ruth. He sees her again. Again, it's Jehovah, El, El Roi. He sees her. He sees a need, and he, and he asks about her. And that very moment that he sees her, everything is about to change. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, steps in, and his eyes fall upon her. Ruth doesn't know that the moment, at that moment, change was beginning to take place. Naomi didn't know that at that moment she was being restored. The Lord had a great plan. Nothing would stop it. Life does not, life does come out of death. Promises are still in motion for his own. Ruth receives an abundance of grain from the other workers at the command of Boaz. When Naomi sees the grain and she begins to rejoice, her heaviness starts to switch from emptiness to expectancy. It's the first time you see her coming back to life. And her countenance is starting to change. And in the Hebrew, the the name Naomi means beautiful, pleasant, delightful. She was being restored to beautiful, pleasant, delightful. She wasn't going to be called bitter. Her life was going to be pleasant. Her life was going to be delightful. It was going to be beautiful. The bitterness was slipping away. Hope was rising. Boaz took Ruth for his wife, and they have a son. And it was never over for Naomi or Ruth. It was their beginning. Because in chapter 14 of chapter 4 in Ruth, it says this. The women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. She came in one way, but she ends up another. Blessed be the God, our Lord, who has, who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. Speaking of this child. May he also be to you the restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to this son. Boaz marries Ruth, and they have Obed, and Obed is in the line of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Imagine that. All of this, and now her son, she lost her children, and God gives her a grandchild who is part of the lineage of David, the part of lineage of Jesus Christ. Tell me there isn't a redeemer. Is that crazy? He is our redeemer. He is the lifter of our head. We might go through some stuff, but he always comes through. Hopelessness didn't last for the disciples who left Jerusalem. It was a time of victory. It was never over for David. He was restored to the rightful king. After the trial, after the storm, recovery comes. Don't quit in the storm and don't loosen your hold of the Savior. He's a God who sees and he's a God who hears. In Romans 10:11, it says, those who trust in the Lord will never be disappointed, ever. Many are saying of my soul, and that's why we can read this psalm different over and over for ourselves. Many are saying of our soul, there is no help for you in God, but we're saying, Lord, you are a shield to me, the glory and the lifter of my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, but guess what? He answered me from his holy hill, 
from his mountain. I lay down and slept because he has given me confidence against the demonic oppression. He's given me confidence against a battle. And so I woke up for the Lord sustained me. I'll not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me. Arise, Lord, and save me, my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheek. You've shattered their teeth. Salvation truly belongs to you. May your blessing be upon your people, and his blessing is absolutely on his people. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. The enemy tried to stop Jesus. The Pharisees tried to shut him up, and Herod tried to kill him, but the Lord would not bow to the opposition. He had authority, and he had power. Their threats and actions were nothing to him. He holds the keys to everything, and nothing, nothing, nothing is above him. He's above it all. He's the God of ages. He's the God of of ages past and ages to come. He lifts our heads so we don't quit. We do not give up. We continue because it's not only about us. It's about our families. It's It's about our neighbors. It's about our coworkers. It's about our community. It's about the people he puts in our life. It's not just about us. And he's touching all of our families. We should be lifting them up all the time, telling them it's going to be all right, and seeing them come to the knowledge of God. We need to continue in him so that they would not suffer. Jesus said, tell that fox, I'm not going anywhere. In fact, I'll return after I'm finished here, and I'm going to fill my people with my glory and with my power, the spirit of the living God, and they are going to do greater exploits than I myself did. When we are in a state of doubt and fear, we need to tell that fox, Satan, that this is who I am, a believer in Jesus Christ, a lover of my soul. This is who he is, the king of all kings, and I will not stop praying or believing that he is about to step into the midst of this mess and clean it all up. He's about to restore the church to her rightful place, the same way he returned David to the throne. It came with war, it came with much unrest, but God always will have his way. This day he'll always have his way. Just let him lift your head to his reality, not the temporary condition that does not mean a thing. When Ruth said, your God will be my God, she would have never dreamed what God had in store for her. And neither do we, but we can depend on the father of ages past who has given us hope that he has given us a savior and a gospel of hope. I think there's no greater joy as you go on in the Lord in years and years. I'm like, I don't want to be young. I want to be old and get older because I'm seeing the generations, the blessings, the promises to myself and to my husband, seeing our children in the Lord and seeing them continue in the Lord. And we're going to continue to see them in the Lord and our families. There's nothing greater than that. That is our heritage. We should grab hold of it and never be discouraged when it takes a little while to come. The enemy will come and whisper to you that there's no hope for you in God. Just quit but we won't. Jesus is about to approach our path as he did the road to, on the road to Emmaus and walk with us. He's getting ready to break bread with us. He's going to enlighten us with his words, and we will go from hopelessness to burning hearts and turn back and proclaim him with great joy and confidence in the very place that we left defeated. Isn't that exciting? But now carry the hope, but now carry the hope of Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Some are coming out of seasons where it's like you've lost everything, even your passion for Christ. Like Naomi, you think I'm changing my name to bitterness. I started full, now I'm empty. But it's the beginning of barley harvest in the kingdom of God, and the king is in the field where you've been laboring just to survive. His eyes are falling on you, and you don't even know he sees you. (laughs) I can't say that without crying. His people don't even know. We don't even know. He sees us. He hears us. We're in the field laboring, and he's right in the field. The king is in the field. And he sees, he's going to lift your head to see his glory and keeping power, his keeping power that has been there all along. 
in Lamentations. Lori sent me this scripture, and I love it because I never read. I have read, but I always read part of it, but not the last part. It's so powerful. We all know it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And then it says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. That's our declaration. The Lord is my portion, and I will hope in him. I want to read the words of one song, and I am done, I promise. In conclusion, whatever the problem, large or small, it doesn't matter to the Lord. He wants us filled with his hope. The enemy knows that hopelessness will not produce freedom. That's why he uses it as one of his tools. He knows that if we're downcast, everyone we work with is going to be downcast. If we're downcast, everyone we speak to is like, oh, oh that's really too bad you're going through that. Sorry, i got to go eat my pizza. But when we have hope, when we have hope, we can say to them, no, hold on, believe. Jesus Christ is going to help you as he's helped you before. So the enemy uses it. The enemy knows hopelessness and will not produce freedom, but we are carriers of the hope of the living Lord, Jesus Christ. David Crichton was heard. We are heard, and he does, and he does, and he will answer. Ruth went into the field and to and to see. Ruth went to the field and she was seen. We are seen. The song lyrics to the song, uh, I encourage y'all, it's called E-L-U-L. Sometimes I play it over and over again. And it's, it's a song about the story of Ruth. And just some of the lyrics is this. Um, my inheritance was lost, so I ventured into the field to glean. And her inheritance was lost. Naomi's inheritance was lost. She goes into the field to glean. The day of small beginnings, the day of humble means. I was determined to do my best with what was given me. But the king was in the field where I went to glean. He was right there in the field. Sorry. I hate when this happens to me. The king was in the field where I went to glean. His eyes fell on me. Well, you need to understand his eyes are falling on you. His ears are attentive to you. They're falling on you. Whatever the issue is, whatever the issue is, his eyes are falling on you. He offered me the corners of his robe, a covering, restoring my provision, and a song to sing. The covenant had been there all along. I just couldn't see. The covenant for their us is there all along. We just can't see. I beheld his majesty. His favor came down on me. He brought me from my labors, from my hard labors, to the chambers of the king. That's what the Lord's doing. Come out of your hard labors and into the chamber of the king. He brought me back. Now I've been redeemed. He secured my future, and he took away my grief. How powerful is that? That's our Lord Jesus Christ. We should just praise him and thank him for all he's done. As for us, the king, the king Jesus, he's in your field and his eye is on you. Whether your trial is great or small, he's stepping into where you are. Your home, your workplace, your neighborhood, your mind, your grief, your loss, any oppression that robs you of joy, hope, and peace. Whenever you have, wherever you have been laboring, he's coming. He came to David, he came to his disciples, he came to Naomi and Ruth, and he's coming to our house. He's coming to his church. He is coming to his church. He is coming to his church. It's he who is faithful to the end. He is coming back to the church. Be encouraged and filled with great hope and pass that hope on to all who are downcast. Bring it without judgment because he doesn't judge us. He understands our weaknesses. 
Bring it with authority to remove the lies of that old fox. And his eyes will be open, and he's going to lift our heads. He is the glory, and he is the lifter of our head. And that's all I have to share.